From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. Coming up, the Nats broke our hearts, but did Metro strike out in the bottom of the ninth? Metro sucks! Politicians pile on the decision to keep the system closed at midnight. Plus, a Metro budget scenario is stunning Prince George's County. I mean, what is this? What, what is that? And we're talking taxes to pay for transportation. You're not going to get an answer from me today about anything about a regional sales tax. As we tax the limits of your mind, mesmerized by the Metro madness, it's episode 19 Metropocalypse. The DC Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. Customers should expect extended delays and crowded conditions on trains and platforms. We have got a broken down, busted metro system that has got to be fixed. This is the medicine going down, and it don't taste good. Whether it's the Washington Nationals, late night trains, fare hikes, or a regional sales tax, politics are shaping the debate over what Metro must do. Not typical partisan politics, right versus left, but politics nonetheless. Let's set aside the technocratic talk of train operations. This episode is all about the external pressure being placed on Metro by elected officials. And here to talk about it is Fox 5 reporter Tom Fitzgerald. He's the Sunday morning anchor and host of Fox 5 News on the Hill. Tom, good to see you. Hi, Martin DeCaro. How are you? That's the energy level we want. How you doing? I'm all right. You know, a little sleepy today. You left out my most important title. What is that? Reporter. I said Fox 5 reporter Tom you Fitzgerald. You're, you're probably asleep. It's the only thing I want on my headstone, honestly. How's SafeTrack treating you? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> it has radically changed my life. Radically. Because professionally, I'm spending a lot more time talking about Metro and looking at Metro and Man. dealing with Metro. And then personally, I, like everybody else in this area, are faced with this question every time you have to go somewhere. Am I going to get there? Is there going to be a track problem? Am I going to get interrupted? Should I not do this? So that's changed. And, you know, I I go back a long, long way with Metro, many, many years and decades. You've been in D.C. for quite a while. Well, you know, here's the story. I grew up in New Jersey. I'm originally from New Jersey. As am I. As, As anybody who been around me for five minutes has been exposed to it. Maybe but that's why I had you in this week. My, my sister, uh, my older sister Gina, came to Washington in March of 1975. She goes to AU and we come down for a visit. I'm nine years old. She's about to go to college. I got to see pre-DC Metro while they were constructing it. There's only two times I ever saw my father break down in tears. Once when his old high school football coach, Vince Lombardi, passed away in the 1970. Secondly, when he had not been back to Washington since World War II and could not navigate the streets because out here they were, you know, digging and covering and wow. building Metro. And he just got so frustrated one night he parked the car and broke down. So this man who had survived three wars, who had beaten Imperial Japan, North Korea and fought in Vietnam, was brought to tears by the construction of Metro. So, you know, the ties run deep. The ties run deep. And today commuters are crying tears of despair. So let's start with the Nationals. They are out. They lost a heartbreaker. Uh, Game five of the National League Division Series last week against the L.A. Dodgers. That was tough. That was tough to watch. Well, something else that was tough to watch, uh, the issue of whether Metro should make exceptions for special events during safe track. So the Nats <laughs> are out, but that issue 
is not going away. We're talking about either running trains early in the morning or late at night. First, let's listen to how the fans reacted during the game to the announcement that the last train was about to leave. Uh, I have a feeling they're not pleased. They don't sound happy. So did Metro make the right move? I think they did. I mean, it's not popular to say that. I think you have a message here that is clear. And one of the problems with Metro for a long time is that they've been unclear about the gravity of the situation that they're facing. And priorities. And priorities. And if you are going to be in a position right now where you say, our priority is safety and getting the hours that we need on these tracks, that has to be an absolute. And it's a slippery slope when you start to make exceptions. And after weeks and weeks of saying we're not making any exceptions, it would have been surprising to me if Paul Wiedefeld had then done an about-face. Let's listen to Jack Evans, who is the chairman of Metro's board, D.C. council member. I asked him, why make an exception for the Nationals and not other events like the Marine Corps Marathon or the Susan G. Coleman Race for the Cure? This is the Nats versus the Dodgers in the game that either carries us on to the, to the National League championship or doesn't. The eyes of the world are watching this game tonight, the eyes of the city. It is a sold-out crowd. It's the most talked-about event. This isn't the Marine Corps Marathon or the Monday night football game or the Billy Joel concert. All those things, frankly, have, were planned in advance, and, and you could plan for the transportation. I know it's an important game. I know it was a big game. It's about as big as you get around here. But the eyes of the world, (laughs) I don't know if the eyes of the world were upon us. My eyes were trying to find which channel Fox Sports 1 was on. Well, the eyes of D.C. were on us. The eyes of D.C. were on. And, you know, I understand what the fan is saying. I understand what Jack Evans is saying. But the reality of this, folks, we have got a broken down, busted metro system that has got to be fixed and they need to get on these tracks and this is you know remember mary poppins when you were a kid i believe so boon full of sugar helps the medicine go. i was more into spider-man this is the medicine going down and it don't taste good here's paul wiedefeld with that medicine if you look at the history you know for the last two decades or so um there's always something Right, that needs that that wants more service. I get that, um, but we're doing it at the expense of the, the the daily commuter, you know, the the basic rider. So, from a transportation perspective, I was out there uh, after the game monitoring how things went. Most fans stayed for the game, and they found another way to get home. We managed to survive without Metro making an exception to run the trains late for the game. And that's kind of my point about this. I mean, have we gone down to Nationals Park? Are we sure that all the fans are not still stuck in the building? (laughs) This this became a political issue, appearances, right? Yeah, we'll be okay. Are the Metro folks celebrating that they won't have to deal with this anymore? Well, you (laughs) know— World Series games? I I, I, I am starting to wonder whether or not Paul Wiedefeld is a a clairvoyant. Or a Dodgers fan. Or a Dodgers fan, because, you know, he—I think he's—is he an O's fan? Well, he is from Baltimore. To his credit, you know, before we move on from this, to his credit, he did say, listen, I get it. I get the importance of the World Series. And he did say, if we get to that bridge and we need to cross it— we are going to talk about it. He yes. did not blanketly say no. That's true. And I think he did leave the door open for the possibility 
of making a change and extending service if they got to the World Series. Moot so you now. want late night service? It's on the Washington Nationals next year. Get to the World Series. Let's talk about next year. Let's talk about next year. The issue is not going away about what Metro should do when Safe Track is over. So let's transition to that conversation right now briefly. The D.C. Council, again, politics, passed resolution 13 to nothing in favor of Metro bringing back trains till 3 a.m. Friday and Saturday nights when Safe Track is over. Now, that resolution has no power. But it it sends a message. And this is what D.C. Council Mary Che said about why Metro must remain open after midnight. I would ask the general public, are they aware that other subway systems operate many more hours and yet they do make their repairs, they do have their inspections? New York runs 24 hours a day. So surely we could learn from these other systems about how to operate ours. And Wiedefeld has brought in outside experts to consult him on how many maintenance hours Metro needs. Of course, Metro is not like all other systems. I mean, the thing with comparing two transit systems is no two are alike. But I think this is typical of the issue right now. Political observers, political officials on the Mm -hmm. outside are making judgments about what Metro has to do after the general manager came out in June and said, we need to do A, B, C, and D for Safe Track. I was hired with a mandate to fix right. the system. Let me do it. That is my point right now about all this, you know, what do we do after Safe Track? Hey, folks, we're not done with Safe Track yet. So it seems to me to have all these arguments right now about what or what is not going to happen at the end of Safe Track, it seems to be a little bit of posturing. When we continue on Metropocalypse, Metro's board of directors had a chance to respond to a bunch of scenarios prepared by Metro's top financial staffers designed to close a huge budget gap next year. One cost-saving scenario to close 20 low ridership rail stations during off-peak hours, 10 of which are east of the Anacostia River. And Prince George's County's board rep is like... I mean, what is this? What What is that? And is there some, I mean, the dollars or, or what is that? Tom and I talk to Malcolm Augustine next. As we continue our WMATA roller coaster ride this week, let's turn to finances. Metro released a dark forecast at its most recent board meeting, an estimated deficit of $275 million. Its next fiscal year begins July 1, 2017, so Metro has several months to figure out how to balance its budget. Well, it's not off to a good start. Metro assumes ridership will continue to plummet next year, and transit authority leaders are considering a mix of fare hikes and service cuts to help close the budget hole. Now, General Manager Paul Wiedefeld's budget does not come out until November, his proposed budget. But when these scenarios were presented to the board of directors, Malcolm Augustine of Prince George's County forcefully questioned the approach. He said it would put Metro on a downward spiral. What compelled me to speak out is that there, you know, clearly there were some assumptions that were made around the budget I did not feel comfortable with. It's important when we're making, you know, or when we're contemplating such dramatic choices and decisions that we're working from a place of good information because some of the decisions that are being contemplated are going to be very, very dramatic. One of the assumptions is ridership's going to keep going down and you 
asked a question channeling General William Westmoreland of the Metro Board. Where's the light? Where's the light? Is the light coming? Because if it's not, then we need to be having a very different conversation. I, can't, I simply cannot just take this the way that it's being presented. So you had some real issues with everything about this budget scenario. We can't call it a proposal yet. That's right. And that is absolutely correct. So this presentation was an attempt to share some of the different possibilities that could be utilized to close the presumed budget gap and the assumptions that would be behind it. And, you know, clearly the reason that I said that is we have to see a turnaround. There has to be a plan for a turnaround. And if there isn't one, then we're going to have to have a very serious conversation. There must be a vision for when the system is going to turn around. And I haven't heard that articulated, and, and we've got to hear that. Malcolm, when I sit in these meetings and you're there, one of the things that strikes me about your presentations and your questions is that you seem to kind of cut through the BS and that you get to reality. I think a lot of the things that you have asked about speaks to a culture of reality and you get a little pushback on that sometimes with these questions. There are some hard facts here that, you know, people may go away from this system and not come back. I remain optimistic and because I think that we must have a robust transit, mass transit system. The growth and development of our metro area depends on it. We, we, we simply must have it. And we have invested a tremendous amount of money in that. But over time, we have not invested enough in that system uh, as far as, you know, maintenance, which is the process that we're in now. Reliability has gone down. Confidence has gone down. That has to be turned around. So you asked about where is the light, and this is what Metro General Manager Paul Wiedefeld said in response to your question. We have to turn around the ridership trends. And the way that we do that is we have to provide reliable service. That's, you know, we do surveys our customers, and I think it's 84% of what they say, what do I need? I need reliable service. Can I also point out here that a light at the end of the tunnel could be coming at you? That's right. Could be a <laughs> could be a 7,000 series train. <laughs> but your point, Mr. Augustine, was... We're talking years of recovery while ridership continues to plummet, and now there's a budget proposal on the table that could potentially result, I should say, a budget scenario on the table that could result in a proposal for fare hikes, service cuts, enormous jurisdictional subsidy increase. Some of the proposals that we saw or, or some of the uh, potential proposals, and, I, and you heard this from other board members like board member lobby, they are not forward-thinking. They will continue us on this path of decreasing ridership. And I just think that we have to remain focused on the core, which is that we move people from point A to point B. That is our job. You know, one of the um, things about moving people from point A to point B is that sometimes we spend a little too much time talking about point A, and that's D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, this mm -hmm. system is not D.C. It is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And it's yeah. also, you know, your area over in Prince George's County, the areas east of the Anacostia. Before Safe Track got started, you were one of the voices that would, in these meetings, say, hey, wait a minute. I don't think you've got a bus plan in place here that is going to meet the needs of the people who are going to be cut off from this service in large measure mm -hmm. once Safe Track rolls around. Long term, that's not a community and a population that has a lot of other options to get mm -hmm. across that river. 
Do you think that the needs of transit passengers across the Anacostia have been met to a sufficient degree? Or are you seeing drift in your area that you represent of people who are finding other options to Metro and options that may become permanent? I think that people are going to find other options. They will figure it out. You know, some of what you're talking about where people leave that system, it, it is it is troubling. And I am concerned with some of the discussion about the routes uh, that are going to be contemplated that we're talking about. What about the potential of closing 20 what are called low ridership metro rail stations during off-peak hours, 10 of which are east of the Anacostia River, several are in Prince George's County. When you saw that, you are pretty close to apoplectic. <laughs> Is that what it looked like? I was not pleased with that. I mean, in particular, since it's um, it hits a bunch of really bad notes. If you're going to shut portions of the system, you render the system obviously less useful as a whole and efficient as a whole. It's transportation yeah, equity, it's, it's correct? It's clearly a matter of transportation equity within that conversation. That is one of the underpinnings of our whole infrastructure and its it, its role in the the greater community. I mean, there's no question about that. But even more than that, I mean, to simply put that up there without any basis, any financial basis, Without talking about what which, which was in the previous slide, not to talk about how much money it was or anything like that, when in the previous slide there was discussion around the closure of entrances, for example. You're talking about the slides that were presented at the WMATA board Sure. Meeting. It just was not complete because these things really do matter. I mean, we are also in the midst of some very exciting development projects in Prince George's County including at um, you know some of those stations that were on that list. Now how do you how does that work as I'm trying to work with our community and and people who are looking to invest and they look at uh, they look at that where now there's discussion that these stations could potentially be shut down. I mean this is well, just not forward thinking. How much consult is there with with the communities and with the local governments as far as what is in the pipeline? that they are not surprised by these things that pop up on these slides at these metro meetings? There's not as much as there should be. I do my very best to be out in the community at community meetings and talking to people, share with them as much as possible what is in the pipeline, what's going on. But you generally don't know about it until you see it up there on the screen? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, that specific portion, as I said, I was not privy to prior to the distribution of the materials earlier in the week. I mean, we did have it earlier in the week. Um, it's not that we did not have that. But what I was clearly aware of, and I'm not suggesting otherwise, is that there is going to be a need for some shared pain across mm -hmm. all the different sections. And I have not I've not said otherwise. That doesn't mean that some choices are not good choices and some are, are better choices and places to do that. I guess what I'm getting at here is having, you know, been married myself now for going on 14 years. Oh, boy. Anytime you're in a relationship, it can't just be about the needs of one person. It needs right. to be the, about the needs of both. So if on the WMATA end, WMATA is concerned about its needs, is it talking to its partner? As Prince George's County's representative on the WMATA board, I do my very best to, to be that bridge. Mm -hmm. And I consistently share uh, with the WMATA staff the needs and the wants of Prince George's County. And they are responsive to that. But it is, I do bring it up. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I do my best to catalyze that 
that discussion. Last question from Malcolm Augustine, represents Prince George's County on the Metro Board of Directors. The title of this episode is Metropolitics, and we have D.C. saying forget about it when it comes to fare hikes and service cuts. Maryland saying, and that's Michael Goldman, who's a voting member on the Metro Board for Maryland, saying we're not going to just cover it all with a higher jurisdictional subsidy. And the GM hasn't even proposed his budget yet. What should the general manager put in his proposal? I don't believe that people don't want to uh, figure out how to balance the budget. There's no question there are some actually philosophical differences on the best way to do that. So what do you think? I believe that it is going to require a shared across all of the uh, various stakeholders. So fair hikes have to be part of it. Fair hikes have to it's, be part of it. It's a part of the, the discussion. We, it, this is going to take some time. But we, right now we are still in the process of information gathering and trying to figure out what those impacts are. And that, for me, is the biggest thing right now. It sounds like you haven't made up your mind, and other members of the board have already staked out positions, and they're saying... They have staked out positions, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, I do believe that we will come together as a board. We have a working relationship. There's just no question about that. And we will make some tough decisions that will require you know, each of us to make some compromises. When we return, can D.C., Maryland, and Virginia come together to provide Metro the dedicated funding stream it's always lacked? It's not as easy as you're making it sound. It doesn't sound promising. That's next. Continue on Metropocalypse, talking Metro politics with Fox 5's Tom Fitzgerald. Few issues surrounding Metro's future are as political as establishing a dedicated funding stream, something Metro's never had. So every year it goes hat in hand to its jurisdictions asking for money. But the size of next year's estimated budget deficit, $275 million, as we've discussed, is once again creating a sense of urgency that D.C., Virginia, and Maryland leaders do something after years of talk. So, Tom, the transit industry standard is to use some kind of tax to pay for operating expenses. Why can't it happen here? Politics, in a word. (laughs) You know, I refer to it as Metro's original sin. The way they first designed this three-headed, you know, monster, if you will. And the compact. The compact. Um, we, we are in an environment right now, politically, whether you're a Democrat or whether you're Republican, that the word tax, tax is a horrible. Now, I don't like taxes. I'm not particularly fond of taxes. But I will tell you, my experience has been that people, what annoys the heck out of people about taxes is when they pay all this money and they don't see any of it coming back to them. They pay into a federal income tax and then they see a chart of the where the tax money goes in the 50 states and they don't see it coming back to them. This is a situation with Metro that I think you could make a logical case to show people a return on an investment make a clear explanation on why financing plays a very big role in this. This is not just people who didn't just decide to do their job one day. This has been decades in the making. And I think if you approach it from that standpoint, 
then you might have a shot politically to kind of make this argument. Well, the thing that gets me is lip service is paid all the time. We must oh, yeah. support, we oh, must support oh, Metro. Oh. We must do this. But Oh, everybody loves it until it's time to pay the bill. That's right. So how do we support it? Well, a dedicated funding stream, potentially in the form of a regional sales tax, would help. That doesn't mean the trains are going to start running on mm-hmm. time automatically and that the tracks won't have problems. But we will avoid, potentially, these year-after-year financial crises. Let's listen to Mayor Muriel Bowser of the District of Columbia. She supports creating a regional sales tax. However, she also believes that Metro needs to show some measurements of progress first. Safe track would be a good model for us to judge that Metro is doing the things that they said they would do on the schedule that they that they laid out. Uh, so that's that's one uh, starting point that I think that I'm going to suggest to Paul and the board to come back to us um, with with those mes- metrics so we can judge how they're doing. So the mayor was speaking at a summit she held with Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland and Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, where they were discussing this issue. It's been talked about years past, but no action was taken. Here's Governor Hogan on whether he is for a regional sales tax at the moment. Well, we just had our first discussion about this today. We took about an hour to talk about it. We're nowhere near finished the discussion. A lot of people would be involved in that decision. Uh, So you're not going to get an answer from me today about anything about a regional sales tax. What say you, Tom Fitzgerald? He's so evasive. (laughs) That's the thing about, you know, Governor Hogan. You know, he's going to tell you flat out, you know, you're not going to get an answer from me. I will say this about Governor Hogan. You know, people originally kind of were wondering when he first came into office how much of a mass transit governor is this going to be. He surprised a lot of people. You remember when he ran for governor, he was very critical of the Purple Line. And... That was one of the projects he greenlighted because he saw that as an economic engine. If, After delaying it to reduce the costs. Correct. He did make some and, and shift those costs, we should point out, onto Montgomery County, onto Prince George's County. People up in Baltimore are very upset with him because there was a red line extension of the transit up there that he did not proceed with. So he appears to be a man who, if you can demonstrate to him the return on the investment, He is willing to look at it pragmatically and proceed. However, making the jump to a regional sales tax, that's that's a pretty big bridge to cross. That's not redistributing costs or construction fees or things like that. That's a whole different animal. And for a governor who had campaigned and is very popular right now in this state, who had campaigned on lower taxes, getting rid of these annoyance fees like the rain tax and things like that, to then come back to his voters as he's staring at a re-election in a couple of years to say, I'm going to impose a regional tax on our area, that seems like a tough hill for Larry Hogan to climb. Well, and to say nothing of what the legislature in Annapolis might feel about that with folks who never used the metro rail system, have representatives there. Well, it's the old argument that you get into with tolls and highways. Are you then creating a situation, you know, where if you're going to, you know, the one thing about a toll on a highway is it is a very equitable tax because the people who are using the highway are paying for it. Now, if you get into a situation with a regional sales tax, are you then punishing people, making them pay for something that they don't actually use? Now, the mayor, as she correctly pointed out, there are economic benefits to having a healthy and vital and operating metro system, which benefits everyone, even if you don't ride metro. Here is Governor Terry McAuliffe. We all love this system. It's a huge economic driver for all three of our jurisdictions. 
but it's got to be run right. Paul understands that. We need some metrics. Before I could even conceive of going back to my legislature, we need some metrics met so that we have something to actually talk about for future investment. When your metro passenger, your metro rider, hears politicians say things like, we need metrics, <laughs> that sounds like one of my father's favorite phrases, gobbledygook. Because talk English to people about what it is that you need and what it is that needs to be done. These because metrics are undefined you, right now. All right, but here's the thing. If you're going to get to the point of a regional sales tax, it's John and Jane Q. Public out there. They're going to have to pay this thing, all right? So start that conversation now in clear and plain language. I'm trying to think of what it would look like down the road. Okay, so on-time rail performance needs to get to... 95, mm -hmm. 91. Metro's target is 91. They're not even close to that. And it might be years before they get there. This is just hypothetical. Or you only have this many rush hour breakdowns per week, per month, per year, and then mm -hmm. you can talk about getting... This gives the governor of Virginia, the governor of Maryland, a lot of time and cover, and a regional sales tax probably not happening anytime it's, soon. It sounded like a lot of kick in the can down the road at that meeting the other day. All right, Tom Fitzgerald, final thoughts. It has been a pleasure these past couple of months to have you on Fox 5 News as a contributor. It's been a pleasure to add you to our team this year in, in the capacity that you've joined us. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Fox 5 reporter Tom Fitzgerald. Hey, make sure you catch him on Sunday morning, and he's also hosting the Fox 5 News on the Hill. You can find me on Twitter at FitzFox5DC and also on our webpage at Fox5DC.com. And uh, once this election is over, will I see you at Metro board meetings again? <laughs> yes, I will return. I, I, that's a threat or a promise. I'm not sure which, but I will be back. This has been Metropocalypse episode 19. Metropocalypse is produced by Brendan Sweeney, Joe Warminski, and John Olgolnik, with special help this week from Jacob Fenston. Andy McDaniel is our content director. All the music you hear on Metropocalypse comes from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack. This week you heard tracks by Sir EU, Furniture, Kenny Mack, and Hugh Seek. Thanks for listening. I'm Martin DeCaro.